readings today. The first one is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Our second reading comes from Hebrews chapter 4, 1 to 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Thank you very much, Karen. I remember growing up, um, Sunday afternoons, they were interesting times in my family. Particularly difficult if you were a child. Because you had to be absolutely quiet Sunday afternoons because mum and dad were having a nap. You were allowed to swim in the swimming pool that we had, which was right next to their bedroom where they had this nap, but you couldn't make a noise. You, could, you, you know, you try and do that as a child to swim and have fun in a swimming pool without waking the parents up right next to that. But, but this was done in an effort to say, you know what, Sundays was about Rest, this commandment that 
uh, Karen read to us, keep the Sabbath day holy. In my parents' understanding and in the, the culture of their day, this was what Sundays were about. It was, about, it was a day of rest. Now, I'm not talking today about what to do on Sundays, uh, but we're going to talk about the concept of rest in our lives. We're continuing, we're, we're finishing off for the next today and two more Sundays, a short series on, on busyness called Crazy Busy. And today's theme is the theme of rest. You cannot talk about the issue of rest, how do we rest in our lives without, as a Christian, talking about the issue of the Sabbath. You cannot talk about the issue of the Sabbath day and not do a fair bit of, uh, of theology, if you will. You've got to think very deeply about uh, this issue of rest and what the Bible has to say to us about how to practically do it in your life. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to spend little bit of time just unpacking uh, the Bible, if you like, and then I'm going to get really practical towards the end and say, okay, what does this stuff look like in your life and my life? How could it look like? How should we rest? That's what I want to do. You've heard the commandment that Karen read to us, where God said to his people, you are to keep the Sabbath day holy, the seventh day of the week. Jewish people viewed this as Saturday. And in a very, very, very strict sense, they did no work on this day. Uh, later additions to what it means to not work became extremely detailed to the minute point to where they've had almost up to 39 categories of work, of petty little things that you were and were not allowed to do on this day. It was, it was refined, you know, the rules of what you could and couldn't do. It was incredibly serious for them. Back thousands of years ago, the breaking of these rules were, uh, in some instances, actually observed, punishable by death. Very serious. Extremely serious. So God, God gives these people these rules in, 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 in Exodus for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, because God's people resting is an act of worship that says to God, God, we know you're in control. We know you are God. We know you rule over all things and because you're in control, we can rest. <laughs> The first thing. Second thing is God knows that people need rest, so it's good for us. But the third thing that's very important of why they did this in the Old Testament is because the way it worked in the Old Testament was if you wanted to be righteous, if you wanted to be right with God, you had to obey the rules. The rules had to be obeyed. Not only the rules about the Sabbath, all sorts of rules. Okay, this is how it worked. <laughs> but 
you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, and if you haven't, please, I'm really hoping I'm making good sense here. And if I don't, come and ask me afterwards to clarify stuff. If you're a new Christian or a non-Christian. Fast forward. The Old Testament, which is really the old agreement that God had with people, was always pointing to a new time. When God's going to make a new agreement, a better agreement, he's going to fulfill the old agreement, what the old agreement was supposed to always achieve, which was righteousness, being in a right relationship with God. And how he's going to do that is, he's going to send his son, Jesus. Jesus is going to obey all the rules perfectly. Jesus is going to be the only one who's going to be righteous, right with God through his obedience, through his perfection. <laughs> and how it's going to work is if you or I or anyone believes that Jesus was the one who God sent, that righteousness becomes yours. <laughs> you believe God looks at you and he sees Jesus. He sees righteousness. He sees perfection. That's how the new agreement works. But now there's a problem. The problem, and this is a big problem that the early church discovered, what about the rules? Do we now not obey the rules? Do the rules now not matter? Uh, do the rules now not count? Um, fights upon fights upon fights among the early Christians, and even today, I tell you, is still there, because some are saying, no, look, Jesus is perfect, the rules have all been fulfilled, we, we don't have to worry about the rules. Others are saying, no, no, I think we still really do, and, and there's this sort of a, this tension. So, so here's the question that I want to bring to us when it comes to the Sabbath day. <laughs> Should we, you and I, observe the rules and the regulations and the restrictions that are laid down in God's Word, particularly in the Old Testament, with regards to the Sabbath? I'll give you an answer, I think the best answer when it comes to not only the rule of the Sabbath, but all the rules of Christianity, is the answer, no. We don't have to obey the rules. We're free from them. But, but, as a believer in Jesus, you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, <laughs> whose job it is, as he lives in you, to change you and transform you into God's likeness, which is reflected by the rules. <laughs> you see, we always tend to think that when Jesus came, he kind of lowered the bar when it came to changing our lives to become holy. He made us free from the rules. That is true on the one hand, but he didn't lower the bar. You know what, Jesus, Jesus raised the bar. Jesus said, you were never going to obey the rules perfectly anyway. The rules were powerless. They lacked power. What we needed, 
power of the Spirit. The gospel. I will fill you with my Spirit. I will write my laws on your heart. I will change you to become the holy people who I want you to be. That's the message of the gospel. That's why the gospel is infinitely more powerful than a bunch of rules. Yes, we are free from the rules, but (laughs) we are filled with God's Spirit who changes us, changes our lives to reflect His holiness, what He lays down for us in the rules. Now, that's great theology. Thanks for clarifying that. I've always struggled with that, you may say. But I still don't really know. What do we do with rest? You know, what, practically. Am I supposed to not work on a Sunday? There's still no wisdom here in any of this great doctrine. Okay, let's get to that now. place to go if we want to find out how we should rest as Christians who are free from the rules and filled with God's Spirit. In other words, what does the Spirit want to do in your life when it comes to how you should rest? (laughs) Funnily enough, it's not the New Testament, it's the Old Testament. It's Genesis. You know, Genesis is the place in the Bible where God creates the world. In six days, he does the various phases, and then on the seventh day, it says, God rested. Yes. Heavens and the earth were created and completed in a vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing, and the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Here are a few things I want you to get from this passage, this, this, this part of the Bible. Number one, notice, rest was part of God's creation before sin entered the world, before the rules came. Rest was part of a perfect world already. God had rest in mind. He had in mind that his people should be people who rest. (laughs) Uh, Interesting, God rested. He didn't have to rest. He wasn't tired. He doesn't get tired. He's God. And still he rested. <laughs> so all of that sort of just by the by to say that rest is, is sacred. It's precious. It's, it's, it's something that God makes because he thinks it's good, it's grand, it's great. Still, the question, how should we rest? How can we learn from Genesis about how we should rest? Here's the clue. I'll tell you a story. When I was in high school... I took dance classes. Why are you? That's not funny. Why is <laughs> I'm not elaborating any more than that. Uh, I took dance classes. Um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, maybe if we're at a party one day, maybe I'll, 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 I'll give you a demo. But here's the thing. My dance instructor one day, it was, it was, it was um, sort of, Boredom, which is the one where you have a dance partner? Yeah, those sorts of dances. It wasn't like just me by myself. But anyway, I got got there one night with my girlfriend of the time and and, uh, it was pathetic. I was pathetic. And he looked at me and he said, I don't don't think you... I don't think you... No, rhythm. I don't think you can distinguish a beat in a song. That there's actually a beat that a song goes to, and there's no point in me teaching you 
for this poor girl's sake how to dance, unless I first teach you how to work out that there is a beat and a rhythm to the song. And so we spent a whole night just doing that, the basic, you know, just, you just clap on the beat. And I'm like, ah, oh, I see it. This is how, how, how songs work. And the truth of that was that I, there was no way in the world that I could successfully learn to dance unless I could successfully understand that there is a beat and a rhythm to a certain song that I'm meant to dance to. Here's the thing. In Genesis, God gives us a rhythm for life. Six days, he creates, and then he rests. If you're going to master rest in your life, it's critical that you discover what is the rhythm that God wants to introduce to your life to rest. That is the job, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're free from the rules, but no, we're not free. We're not exempt from a rhythm to life that will give us rest. Now, I, I cannot prescribe to you like some diets, here's the rhythm, it's generic, to all of us the same thing. Do this and you will find yourself at rest and your life engaging with the, the concept of rest well. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is something we each need to do prayerfully with the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and to show us what is the rhythm that we need to live in in order to rest. So I cannot be overly prescriptive to you today. But now we get practical. I can give some guidelines as to what this rhythm might involve, right? I'm going to give you guidelines for three aspects of your life. Every day, every week, every year. These are some things to consider when you work out that rhythm in your life that includes rest. Okay, let's talk about daily rhythm. First thing I've got to talk about here is sleep. <laughs> you ever thought about sleep? It's such a random thing. Why do we sleep? I mean, we know what happens if we don't sleep. We know what we feel like. We know what we behave like. But why did God give us sleep? Why did he say to his human beings, every day you're going to be in no control of your life for at least six hours? <laughs> Completely and utterly vulnerable. Unconscious. Conscious, for that matter. It's a really strange thing for God to introduce into his world, and yet he does. And I firmly believe that sleep is an act of us saying to God, God, every single day we trust you with our lives. When you close your eyes at night to go to bed, you're saying to God, God, I trust you. I'm entirely vulnerable for the next eight hours. But my life is in your hands. Every day we get to say that when we sleep. <laughs> it's an act of worship. But okay, still, how does it help me in life? Uh, in, more in general, this is a really interesting thing. Uh, Don Carson, who's a famous preacher and teacher, he said once in a sermon on doubt, religious doubt. People who say, look, I struggle with God. I don't know if God is real. Or I don't know if God is good. And he named six things that cause people to say this. One of them, lack of sleep. Here's what he says. 
If you keep burning the candle at both ends, sooner or later you'll indulge in more and more cynicism. And the line between cynicism and doubt is a very thin one. We are whole, complicated beings. Our physical existence is tied up to our spiritual well-being, to our mental outlook, to our relationships with others, including God. Sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is to get a good night's sleep. We have to try and sleep well. It's a godly thing to do. It's part of God's daily rhythm for us. Now, I don't know what your sleep life is like. I, I acknowledge people here would struggle with uh, insomnia and all other sorts of things that make it hard to sleep. That's a particularly difficult challenge. For the rest of us who don't struggle to sleep, um, because of Netflix, or Stan, or whatever else it is, um, we need to sleep. I'm not going to tell you how much. Uh, experts, I believe, would say between eight to nine hours is the ideal. Lucky if you get that right. Uh, but that's, that's what we're told. Pay attention to your sleep rhythms as part of every day. Um, there are other things about daily rhythms, like having your meals and stopping and resting, I can't explore all those, but just take the principle in mind. Have a rhythm for every day that has breaks in it, particularly sleep. Part of God's design. Number two, weekly rhythm. Uh, not there. Okay. <clears throat> Consider this. Two people, person A, person B, they both work 45 hours a week. They both do whatever else we need to do, whether it's sport, or church, or kids, or whatever. They're exactly the same. One has a weekly rhythm where things are more or less predicted, more or less set. There are more or less routines with minor fluctuations. The other does exactly the same amount of work. No rhythm, no routine, no structure. Who, at the end of the week, at the end of six months, at the end of a year, is going to be in better shape? <laughs> the one with the rhythm. Arguably every single time. <laughs> because this is how we geared. This is kind of how, how God made things as we see in Genesis. It's a little bit like a car, you know, two cars. One who has been maintained according to its service schedules the other one, irregular and certainly not enough. Both can reach up to the same certain set of mileage, but the one that's been maintained is going to be in considerably better shape than the one that has not been maintained. That's what a weekly rhythm does to us. It gives us rest. I cannot be prescriptive to you as to what your weekly rhythm should be. You need to work that out but you need to ensure that there is some sort of a rhythm as best you can. If you're a shift worker, it's particularly hard. Particularly hard. If you're not, try. Do your best to come up with some sort of a rhythm. Just a side question to talk about here. You might say to me, I don't know what really qualifies as rest. What is rest? A restful activity. You ever thought about that? 
Again, I can't be prescriptive, but I'll give you a difference. I think there's a difference between rest and recreation. Rest is always recreational in the sense that rest will always recreate us, revitalize us, replenish us. But recreation is not always restful. Recreation is not always restful. We need to just be careful of that. Consider the lazy morning at home where I did nothing and had my bacon and eggs and just relaxed, had a good conversation with my spouse to the morning where we said, let's take the boat out. And you know what? We work hard getting the boat ready and I was stressed and there was lots of gear to get ready and we went out of the boat and we had a good hour out on the boat while we were away and that was good, that was restful. But then we got home and then there was the three-hour pack-up where it was busy and it was cranky and everyone's running around. Compared to the lazy morning at home where we just had quality conversation in each other's presence, <laughs> which one was more restful? I'm not saying don't go out on the boat, but I'm saying don't confuse that necessarily as a restful activity. There's a difference. Restful activities will place minimal stress on your mind. Restful activities will always build key relationships, including a relationship with God. Recreational activities may cause great stress. They're fun, a lot of fun, they're not always restful, they're stress-filled. Don't confuse rest for recreation. All right, one last thing, when it comes to this weekly rhythm, you need to plan rest. Don't rely on, let's see where the week goes. We'll rest when there's a gap. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> the greatest thing about my Sunday afternoons growing up, as much as I hated it as a child, was now reflecting back, they were brilliant. Because heaven and earth would fall away, but mum and dad would not let us do anything on a Sunday. They fought for it. It was fixed. And the nice thing about it was that, you know, the whole week kind of was centred, if I can borrow that language, around that day. All sorts of chaos may have transpired Monday to Saturday, but this was fixed, it was stable, it was there, because they planned it, they were intentional, and they were not going to let it be messed around. They fought for it. Whatever you set aside as rest for you and your family, fight for it, be intentional, and keep it in place. It will not happen automatically. All right. Last thing I want to talk about before I finish. Our annual rhythm. Bernard Legat is a seven-time American track and field record athlete. He's world-class. He's a brilliant sports star. <laughs> he was asked once in an interview by Wall Street Journal, what is your secret to your success? And he said, there's one month of the year where I don't run. And I pig out. I gain four kilos. I put my running shoes away. I coach my son's soccer team. I don't even think about running for that month. <laughs> and that's it. That's what I do. To the point where he reckons that is the success, the success to his running career compared to other athletes. <laughs> even the best in the world takes a holiday. You need an annual time of 
rest. It's indispensable to your holiness as a Christian. That's a strong statement. Again, I urge you to compare a restful holiday with a fun one. They're not the same thing. (laughs) We travel to Queensland a lot these days to visit families, and we've come up with the resolution that one of our holiday leave blocks every year is going to be dedicated to go to a place near the Great Lake where there's no reception, no electricity, no nothing. And the greatest decision I need to make every day is whether I have to get out of my pyjamas or not. Other than that, there are no decisions to make for that week. Now, that's just personal. You may think that sucks. <laughs> would never want to do that. But it's restful. Restful. I hear you say practically if you're a young person, you know, mum and dad wants to take us to do nothing somewhere for a week. How boring is that? To which I would kind of say for that particular holiday in the year, that's the point. The point is to go and be bored. Because only boredom can give birth to certain critical things that you need in your own thoughts, in your own relationships. How often has it been on a holiday where you may have done this and the first day or so is, I'm bored, I don't know what to do. There's no Wi-Fi, and it carries on like that, and then after a, after a day or two, you kind of go, well, we have to pass the time somehow. Let's play a board game. Let's have a conversation. Let's go for a walk. Let's go and discover each other again. Let's rest. <laughs> and nine out of ten times, 9.9 out of ten times, you get back home and your kids say, can we do that again? That was good for us. We would never have perhaps picked it, but it was excellent. We need an annual time of rest, whatever that looks like for you. Okay, that's it. Let me wrap up. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to achieve in each of us not doggedly obeying a set of rules, but make no mistake. He wants you to rest. Find out what that rest looks like for you in your life, in this season of your life. Tap into it, submit to it, and be faithful to what the Spirit might want to do in your life. All of this I say against this backdrop, which are the words of Jesus. Jesus, who once said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. If you're not in Jesus today, you don't know Jesus, but you know that your life needs rest. Come to him. Talk to me after this service. Talk to a Christian friend. Find out how do you get the full and complete rest that Jesus has earned for us through his death and resurrection. If you've received that, if you are a Christian, know that the rest of your life is about living out that which you already have. You have full rest in Christ. Experience it. Taste it. (laughs) Enjoy it. Live it out. Don't let that rest be like the precious car that you own but never drive. You've got it. Live it out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a God of rest, that you are not a relentless tyrant who seeks to always uh, drum up work and effort out of us, but in fact that you're a God who out of all things you could have done at the beginning of the world introduced 
perhaps as its crowning glory, the sense of rest. I pray for those who may be here or elsewhere who have not entered the rest of Jesus, as Hebrews puts it. Let us receive it. Let us gladly receive it. And for those who have, but whose lives are perhaps out of step with the Spirit, where we struggle to get the beat right, I pray that you'd give us wisdom. And once you've given us wisdom, give us humility to give up or make the changes in our lives that we need to, that we may dance beautifully to the rhythm of rest that you seek to give us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Christine and...